Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. My name is Nick. Um, I have the privilege of continuing our Advent series. Advent um, is about longing. And uh, this week, I was in a place of longing. Um, How many of you know what flight tracker is? And so on Tuesday, I picked up my phone and I was checking whether Kiona's flight was on time. Uh, And I was checking whether she landed in Hong Kong. And I was texting her to make sure that she had money, which she didn't, but she wasn't hungry. So, um, So I made sure that she knew where the free lounge was so she could go and lie down and And then I was checking in the middle of the night. I woke up at 2 o'clock in the morning, as is generally my custom. And then I'm checking the flight tracker. And I could see all sorts of things. I could see how fast the plane was going. I could see how high it was. Kind of an aside, how do we lose entire planes if I can actually, on my phone, track a plane from Hong Kong to the United States? That's just an aside. The, The... I think the difference is is that you you don't pick up your phone and track a flight of some random stranger. You don't pick up your phone and say, I wonder if flight American Airlines 752 is going to be on time today. There is some connection that you have. There is a longing. Um, And in the Christmas story, there, there are kind of two groups. The one group that we are familiar with because of the nativity scenes and and because of the various songs that we sing are the wise men. And there's a sense in which I believe there there was a curiosity um, with this amazing star. It was kind of the flight tracker of their day, right? Look, there it goes. There it goes. We'll, We'll just follow it. There's a difference between what the wise men were pursuing out of curiosity and what Simeon and Zechariah were longing for. And last week, Jason helped us understand that as Zechariah was awaiting the, the, the birth of his son John, there was a deep longing in his soul. This wasn't just a curiosity whether I, I, I wonder if this is going to happen. There was a deep longing. And there's also a longing in, in, in the, the rest of Israel is basically a story of longing and waiting. Israel is very familiar with waiting. Um, out of the book of Exodus, they would cry out to God, how long, how long until you rescue us? And God rescued them and brought them into the promised land. And then they were asking God for a king. And then when they got a king, God, when are you going to give us a king that is actually worthy of you? And then, God, when, when are you going to restore us back after they've been brought into, after they've been taken into exile because of their consistent disobedience and also because of their disobedient kings? God, when are you going to restore us? When are you going to bring us back? And God brings them back. And then, God, when are you going to bring the Messiah? And so Israel's history is littered with this idea of longing and waiting. And last week we joined, as uh, Jason helped us understand, that, that we joined with centuries of old, the past, where we long for the light to dawn. This week we look at what it looks like for the light to begin to start to spread over the present day. And next week, Sean will look at the second return of Jesus. So tonight, to, tonight, sheesh, you will not be here that long. <laughs> Today, we look at the concept of twilight. And twilight is this concept where both at sunset and at sunrise, you you sometimes don't really know whether the sun is rising or setting. Let's look at some of these these photos. Is this a sunset? Is this a sunrise? The, The whole idea of twilight is there's this mixture because you can see the stars and the moon, but then you can also see the sun beginning to peek over. Um, 
some of the next slides are, I mean, sunrise is some of the, it's the most beautiful time of the day. It's new uh, beginnings. It's awakening. Things feel fresh. Go to the next slide. You can see the surfer there, right? Of course, sunrise surfing. That's me. Can you see the real buff kind of carrying my surfboard, you know? Some of the problems with the term twilight is that um, it has forever been ruined, right? The term twilight has forever been ruined by this teenage, cheesy, emo porn love triangle between a werewolf, a vampire, and a 17-year-old girl. And so every time I say twilight, people are like, who? And me too, you know? Um, but let's try and forget that even though I brought that to your attention. How many, how many of you know the phrase Twilight Zone, right? Maybe you've seen some of those movies. Like in the 1900s, they developed this phrase, the Twilight Zone, and it was this kind of, this, this zone where you can't really tell the difference between what is real and what is not. There's this like, is this really happening? Is this fantasy? Is this reality? And part of the challenge with, with Twilight is if you just woke up and you saw the sunset, you wouldn't know whether is darkness coming or is light coming. Because the two are so similar. And so theoretically, twilight is my favorite time of the day. I say theoretically because I'm very seldom awake during the whole idea of twilight. So theoretically, it is my favorite time of the day. But I desire sleep and rest more than I desire to see the magnificence of the dawn or the sunrise. So how does this fit into our narrative? We, we go back into picking up from where Jason left off and... John the baptizer, the forerunner, was born. And then Jesus, uh, Mary, and Joseph returned to Bethlehem. Mary leaves Elizabeth where, um, where uh, Zechariah tells this hymn of praise to everyone. And everyone is amazed that he can finally speak again. And not only is he speaking, he's burst into song. It's another proof that life is actually a musical. And... Um, <laughs> And so they give birth, the, the shepherds have come and gone, the wise men have come and gone, the angels have lit up the sky with their praise, and we are in Luke 2, verses 25 to 32, and I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was easily, eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel, and often um, that is translated to mean for the consolation of Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And that day the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord, as the law requires, so eight days after a Jewish boy was born, they would have to take him to the temple and he would have to be circumcised. And this was what they were doing. Simeon was there and he took the child in his arms and he praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. And I don't even have time to talk about how a man who is Jewish to the core makes a declaration that this child is going to be the savior of all people, not just the Jewish nation. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. 
As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. One of my questions is, how are they still amazed at what anyone says about <laughs> Jesus, right? Uh, seriously, they've had angels, they've had wise men, they've had, um, they've had people come and visit them, they've had angels appear to Mary and Elizabeth, and they are still amazed at what people are saying about this child, Jesus. Simeon is predicting not only Jesus' life, but his death as well, when he says to Mary, and a sword will pierce your very soul. The coming of the kingdom of God, he is predicting not only the light of the world flooding us, uh, but the death and resurrection of Jesus. So the twilight is part of what we call the already not yet. Jesus of Nazareth has come as the fulfillment of the promises that we have. The entire Old Testament are the promises that a Messiah will come and he will fulfill those. He will bring the kingdom of God with him. And we live in that age. The kingdom had come but was yet to come. And Jesus, the power and presence of God's rule and reign burst out on the earth. It was the presence of the future. The kingdom had now come and it had guaranteed the not yet. There was an overlapping of ages. There was a, there's a theologian called uh, George Ladd, and he developed this phrase called the already not yet. And part of it is the tension that we live in. Uh, because if the light has dawned, and we know that the light has dawned, we celebrate the coming of the light. Even, um, even the, the chalkboards behind there, as we go, to receive communion, tell us that there is this great light that has shone, and yet we know that there is also darkness. We're living in this weird kind of twilight where there's both darkness and light. And, and how do we kind of explain the already not yet in a way that we can maybe understand? Well, much to my girls' chagrin, they have, um, they have, re, um, they, they have updated the greatest moments of World War II, now in living color, okay? Not, not that kind of living color, but now in color. And so they've been forced to sit through um, those events. And, um, and how many of you know what D-Day was? Okay, and how many of you know what V-Day was? Okay, so D-Day was when the Allies landed on the beaches um, in France. And there was a gap between D-Day and V-Day. V-Day is Victory Day. So there was a sense in which when those allied troops arrived on the beach, there was a sense in which the war was over. Kind of everyone knew that it was a matter of time until the despicable evil Nazi empire began to crumble. But the victory was not yet attained. There were still many deaths, many sacrifices. There was still a, a, a longing and there was still an age to come between D-Day and Victory Day. And that's kind of how we understand the already and not yet. Jesus has come. He has burst into the darkness of this age and he has brought the kingdom of God and he has set us free. And yet there is a Victory Day when he will return in his full glory and power to claim what is his. So what has already happened? How has the kingdom already come? In John 1, verse 6 to 13, John says this about John the baptizer, and this, these are two different Johns, okay? John sent a man, sorry, God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. 
the one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created. But the world did not recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Jesus came and displayed the perfect life and perfect humanity. There was no one that was more truthful and yet gracious. No one that was more kind and more sensitive. No one that was more secure and more humble than Jesus. But Jesus ex exercised his kingship and his power and dominion over the natural, the physical, and the spiritual world. He exercised that in the way in which he calmed nature. He calmed the storms. He exercised that in a way in which he healed people. He exercised that in a way in which he cast out demons. And he said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom has broken in. And because sin needs to be atoned for, his death was the atonement for our sin. His resurrection was the triumph over sin, Satan, and the final enemy of death. And because he ascended, he sent his Holy Spirit to dwell in us as a deposit. Jesus was the perfect man, was the perfect sacrifice, was the perfect victor, and the perfect lover. He made a way for us to come home. And so what has specifically happened to us? How can we rejoice in this twilight, in the paradox of the darkness and the light? Because we are no longer sitting in darkness, scared and groping for something solid that, that we can hold on to. This twilight for us does not represent the coming darkness. This twilight for us represents the coming of the beautiful light. There is a longing in our souls, just like Simeon and Zechariah, not just a vain curiosity. Our sins have been forgiven. Our nature has been changed. Our predisposition is set to righteousness. Shame and guilt and fear have been broken. Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. And also pride and useless pursuits and selfishness has been crushed. Because Jesus also said, whoever does not take up his cross is not worthy of me. The Holy Spirit has activated the divine seed that was created in the garden of true humanity and has empowered us to live a life that brings glory to the King. He is our guarantee. The Holy Spirit guarantees that we will be part of the victory wedding feast when He returns. You know, guarantees and um, confirmations are kind of, they're a little difficult these days. Um, we were driving with Matt and Shannon, some of you know, and um, we had decided that for one day we would take them out to Joshua Tree. They'd never been to Joshua Tree, so we planned an, an Airbnb like two months before. And so, you know, it was confirmed, and we were guaranteed to stay there. And then a week after that, they phone Matt and they say, sorry, you can't stay there. And I was like, well, what am I supposed to do? They say, well, just get another booking. And he's like, well... How does the confirmation work? You know, if, you, if I've confirmed that we're staying here and you're... So we found another booking, thankfully, like a week before, and we're literally driving to the booking. And Matt gets a phone call on his phone from a number he doesn't recognize, so he doesn't answer the phone. And we get 
to about, what, three maybe minutes away. And Matt says, guys, we've got to pull over because they've just canceled our reservation again. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? Yeah, no, they've, they've just canceled it. Anyway, it took about half an hour of uh, texting and talking on the phone. And thankfully, it wasn't me. It was Matt, who was much more gracious than, than I am. <laughs> you know, these days, when we talk about guarantees and confirmations, we really don't have a whole lot to hang our hat on. I mean, even guarantees and confirmations from Airbnb that you will stay, they can just be revoked at any moment. And there's a guarantee. The, 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 the Word of God says that the Holy Spirit in you is your seal and guarantee. That regardless of how dark things seem, regardless of whether you feel like I'm supposed to be the light, and yet I feel like I'm carrying more darkness than light, there is a guarantee that when He returns, you will be with Him. Because he will claim you as his own. What is yet to happen? How is the kingdom yet to come? There's, there's two things that still need to happen. There still needs to be full restoration and there still needs to be a judgment. In terms of full restoration, we know this, but I'm reading it out of the NLT again. Revelation 21. This is the end of the story for those of you that like to read a book that way. This is the end of the story. This is how the story ends. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. The sea was gone, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now with his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, nor pain. All these things are gone forever." That is not my favorite part. This is my favorite part. Write this down. For I tell you, I am trustworthy in truth. As beautiful as that picture of the future is, the thing that stirs my soul in a way that nothing else can is not the beauty of the picture, but the certainty that it will happen. Because he says, for what I tell you, is trustworthy and true. I can believe that this will happen. Even as I'm looking at these pictures of this Airbnb and this nice, cool hot tub and how cool it's going to be to be there, and I can see pictures of it and my, my reservation is canceled, my reservation will never be canceled because He is faithful and true. He will return to claim and restore all of creation from futility and abuse. No more crying, pain, injustice, poverty, sickness, or lack, personally and globally. And we weep now. We weep that the, with those that are going through mourning. We rejoice with those that have something to rejoice about. But there will be a day when there will only be rejoicing. There will be a day when actually our darkest fear and our darkest pain will not even be a memory. When I went for my third knee surgery, they shaved my leg. Well, they didn't shave my leg. They shaved this much of my leg. And so then I decided, well, that's stupid. So let me just shave all of it. And then I thought, well, that was stupid. So, so then, I, then I had to shave both my legs, okay? Right? <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> Not my finest moment, but how, what am I going to do, you know? 
So the interesting thing is, as we sat there, the girls are pointing out at various scars on my, on my legs, you know, and, um, and some of these stories I've told before, this is the scar when I was yelling at that guy, and, and then I hit the back of the truck, and, and all of those glass bits, that's what happened there, and, and this is when I was, you know, seven years old in Saudi Arabia, and I tripped and fell, and that's that big scar over there, and, and what happens is you, there's a memory of that. I mean, I can remember the pain of first tearing my ACL when, when I was water skiing as I'm telling those stories. When we are with him, there won't even be a memory of that. I, I mean, I have these little scars to remember. They won't even be scars. They won't even be a stain. They won't even be a memory. We'll be sitting there in glory with him. And those that have lost loved ones, those that are battling with sickness, they will be like, what? What are you talking about? I am in the presence of God. He is with me and I am with him. I have no concept of any kind of pain or shame or fear or guilt or any of those things. It is gone. But we also wait a future judgment. Now this sounds like bad news. But it's not. Because there's no deeper pain or suffering than an injustice that is not recognized and restored. And part of the idea of judgment is the restoration of injustice. Now the good news is any injustice that we have suffered will be restored. The better news is any injustice that we have perpetrated will be forgiven. That is the kind of God, that is the light that begins to spread as twilight comes to us. You know, judges are the same ones that give medals, right? The same people that say, you know, you get a 7 out of 10 and an 8 out of 10, and they judge the way in which you did your routine at the Olympic Games. It's those games. It's those same people that give you the medals. And one of the realities that we face, and this is a reality, is that as Christ followers, we will face two judgments. Now, the one is the judgment of the book of life. Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? And the good news is, for most of us in this room, the answer is yes. Because when I made a confession of faith that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He came in the form of flesh, and that it was His death that was substituted for my sin, our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. There is a subsequent judgment. And that judgment is about everything we have done in our flesh. And that is not a judgment about whether you will be with Jesus for eternity. That is a judgment that Paul talks about. Gold, silver, and precious stones. And basically what he's saying is that whatever we do, when we build on the foundation as Christians, when we build on the foundation of Jesus Christ, we can build with wood, hay, or stubble. Or we can build with gold, silver, and precious stones. And Paul tells us that everything we do in this life will be tested by fire. And wood, hay, or stubble is like kindling. Let's build with gold, silver, and precious stones. So how do we live in this twilight? What is our response? How are we supposed to react? In Matthew 4, when Jesus is fulfilling the prophecies that are spoken to him, he says that once he had heard that John had been put in prison, he departed from Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled 
that which the prophet Isaiah spoke, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali by way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, again, this is, this is going to freak most Jewish readers out. He came for the Gentiles too, you and me, okay? The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region of the shadow of death, light has dawned. So what did he do? From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And this is the critical part for us to remember. Jesus is preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The next verse, and Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. He said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus immediately includes his disciples in the mandate to bring heaven to earth. We are participants, not just observers. But Nick, I can't make the sun rise any quicker. I'm not Superman that can, I don't know, turn the revolution of the earth, whatever. There's three of you that understand that, okay? <laughs> what, 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 what am I able to do to make the sun rise any quicker? Well, it's not about that. It's about living a life that is a hope-filled, active waiting. Now, look at this. Those of you that play soccer, that's not hope-filled, active waiting, okay? This is a reserve on the bench waiting to come into the game. You can see that there's no one watching because it is soccer, after all. So, <laughs> sorry, John Mark, you know. <laughs> I know, right? So there are two types of waiting. The one is whatever. The other one is this kind of waiting. Okay, I am ready. I'm about to go. When is my moment? Yes, they are twins, okay? <laughs> when is my moment? There's, there's a difference between waiting with a sense of saying whatever will happen will happen and waiting with a sense of God when it's my part to play, when it's my moment I want to be ready. And there's people watching the game because after all, it's hockey, okay? We do not mourn and we do not wait as those without hope. We look to the day when perfect justice will meet perfect love and where evil is banished from our presence. We, we have to understand that this is not our home. And even though we... We, we want to live in the same way in which the Israelites lived in Babylon. When they were taken into exile, God tells the Israelites, hey, I want you to marry. I want you to plant vineyards. I want you to build homes. I want you to make this a home. I want you to pray for the peace of your city. They're in exile. And so there's a sense in which we bring light wherever we go, but we have to understand that this is not our home. We have to understand that we live for a place that is yet to come. We, this hope-filled active waiting helps us to live in the paradox that we wait for and yet at the same time are the light of God. We, we push back darkness when we participate in acts that bring glory to Jesus and we help people glimpse the beauty of the coming Savior. We are light bringers. Jesus tells us that we are light, but that pales in comparison to the light that will be seen at the consummation of the age. So how do we live? We live with a hope-filled, active waiting. We also direct people's attention to the coming sunrise. When we were in Florida, um, obviously Florida's on the East Coast, and so 
this is my opportunity to see the sunrise over the sea. And I am so excited. And I said to Corin, hey, babe, let's go see the sunrise over the sea. She said, I swear, if you wake me up on vacation, <laughs> it will not go well for you, you know? Now, when she reacts like that, you take that seriously. So then I go to the girls, and I'm like, hey, who wants to wake up at 4.30 to see the sunrise? And the only person that said yes was Aaron. Right? The only person. And so then we sit there and we look at this beautiful, amazing, have this experience that they were excluded from because of their selfishness and sleepiness, you know. <laughs> but I, I realized something. You can't tell someone about a sunrise. They have to come with you and experience that. And part of our call in terms of how we live in the twilight is to, is to grab people and say, come with me. Come with me and see the coming sun. Come with me and see the horizon begin to shift. The stars begin to fade. Come and see me. Those, those of you that, that know how difficult it is, there will be times where people say, no, I am not interested. People in the dark are cautious. People that have been in the dark for a long time don't even know what light feels like, and it can feel strange and unfamiliar. But every act of peace, truth, kindness, clarity, and an uncompromising grit is a window. It's kind of cracking the curtain to be able to see the beauty of this sunrise. We ask people to come with us, not glibly and not insensitively and not sentimentally. We're not blind to the pain and confusion that people are feeling. But we, we invite questions. You have questions? You have doubts? I have them. Come with me, though. Let's see the sunrise. These things I don't understand. A friend of mine in, um, in South Africa, he was being visited by one of his friends from Australia. And his son has a, a deformed hand. And, um, and his son came to his dad and said, said to his dad, he was about six or seven. He says, why did God make my hand like this? And I mean, this is a wise, wise man. And um, he said, I don't know. I don't know why God made your hand like that. But I also don't know why you have the most amazing blue eyes. I also don't know that why when you enter a room, people just light up by your presence. I also don't know why you can do this well and do that well. And sometimes that's all people need to understand. I don't know why some days feel darker than others, but I also have experienced the beauty of the sunrise. And I can talk about that, and I know that God wants you to experience the beauty of the sunrise. The last thing we do is we need to awaken from our own slumber. We, we are asleep. Like I said, theoretically, this is my favorite time of the day. Practically, I'm trying to get some sleep. Ephesians 5 verse 8 to 14 in the New Living Translation says, For you were once full of darkness. The uh, ESV and the King James, New King James says, For you were once darkness. For you were once full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of the light. For this light within you produces only what is good and what is right and what is true. 
Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines upon them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Where have we been lulled to sleep? Where, where are there moments where we have just been sitting in the darkness and the, and the reality is, is that the sun is out there? I was reading articles about people that live in um, Scandinavia, Norway, Finland, Denmark, um, and how seasonal affective disorder for them lasts for like nine months, right? For me, I think I do have seasonal affective disorder, but Karen says that's a personal thing. You know what I mean? It has nothing, <laughs> has nothing to do with the weather. You, you just, you know. Um, but seasonal affective disorder is, is when, when the weather is so gloomy and you don't see the sun for that long that it actually begins to affect your mood. And the serotonin levels in your brain are lowered and they are increased when you are exposed to sunlight. And so a lot of people in Scandinavia are um, renting space in sunrooms, literally kind of just sitting in a room and just being bombarded with UV lights because it will affect their mood. And sometimes when we are in darkness too long or dwell in darkness too long, it affects our mood. It does. And one of the things that we need to understand is we're not, we're not rejecting the fact that there is darkness. But what we're saying is for my own health and for the purpose of being able to be a light and draw other people to the light, I need to be able to spend time in the light. And those are those disciplines that help us in terms of, in terms of being with the community of God, in terms of um, uh, engaging in prayer and meditation and fasting and all of those kinds of things that sound like it's more darkness for some of us. But actually that is the ability of of our spirit to receive the vitamin D of the sun. We need to be true to our nature as lights in a dark place. My girls are super excited about Christmas lights. And, um, and the only thing that makes daylight savings bearable for me is you drive home in the pitch blackness, thank you whoever came up with that, Benjamin Franklin, you know, <laughs> is that as you drive through the neighborhoods now, there, there are all these lights that are twinkling, right? And I was thinking about it, you know, light, yeah, light does push back darkness. Light provides warmth. But light is also just a joyous thing. You know, when you see lights on a, on a house, you're not like, oh. You're like, oh. I mean, even for someone as calloused as me, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like oh, you know? We, we are those lights, and we provide warmth, and we push back darkness, and we also provide joy. And I know we live in this paradox of sometimes I feel really dark right now. You know why? That's why it's important to be in community. I have used the same string of lights in our house for like, I don't know, 10 years. There are lights that don't work on there. But you know what? As a whole, it works. No, seriously, right? I mean, no one is going to go to my house and say, that light isn't working, that light isn't working. They're going to look at my house and they're going to see the beautiful colors. Now, don't you come around and leave a note <laughs> on my door telling me which light works and which doesn't, okay? I'm trying to draw a parallel here. 
There are some lights in the context of our community that are dark. Through no fault of your own. It's just a dark time for you. But you are part of a string of lights. That's why Christ called us to community. And there are times when your light works and the other one doesn't. That light works and the other one doesn't. And that's why it is critical to be part of a community. Because if I just had one Christmas light out there and it wasn't working, well, that would be lame, right? (laughs) N.T. Wright says that we were made for spirituality, but we wallow in introspection. We were made for joy, but we settle for pleasure. We were made for justice, but we clamor for vengeance. We were made for relationship, but we insist on our own way. We were made for beauty, but we are satisfied with sentiment. But the new creation has already begun. The sun has begun to rise. Can we be what Mercy Commons is called to be, that we revel in the mercy of God, and so we want to bask in the light that He has given us, that we proclaim His mercy, and so that we point others to the light, that we display His mercy in the way that I've already said, that, that we are the light of God by the way, the things that we do and the things that we don't do, and we participate in acts of mercy for the common good, that we push back darkness by the things we participate in. Maybe today you need to be reawakened to the beauty of the dawn. Or maybe you're sitting in this twilight, fearful that actually more darkness will come than light. It's like, I know this feeling. I know the sky, and I'm not really sure whether it'll get darker or lighter. Maybe you need someone to walk alongside you and take you to the sunrise. And you can come up. This is a time where we sing some incredibly well-known, unfortunately well-worn songs. And if we're going to respond to this paradox of the twilight, we look back on some of the amazing hymns that have been written. O come thou dayspring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. Let's close our eyes. Let me read that again. O come thou dayspring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. Father, I want to lift up my friends, my family before you. I want to thank you that this is a season that we can look to with a longing that is connected to our souls. I want to thank you that every spirit-led, Christ-glorifying act of mercy and righteousness, of prayer and witness and sacrifice, of community and generosity, opens the curtain for people to see the beauty of the sunrise. Oh, Jesus, won't you freely allow us to peek a little further beyond the horizon so that we can see the light and life you bring to all. Oh, come now, dayspring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. Disperse, Jesus, disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight.
Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.